Happy Monday, No Bad Dog Army. I have a good podcast with you guys talking about just really simple equations of leash reactivity. This is a dog that was terribly abused, unfortunately. Um, the owner says that the dog still has bullet holes in him, which is terrible. But we're not really talking about that too much. It's just a dog that obviously has gone through a lot and is very fearful and has some issues with trusting people and um, has started to develop some reactivity towards uh, other dogs. And so we're going to work on all that fun stuff. We're going to be working on leash development and understanding you know, what to do in a situation like that. And really, there really is a couple routes there, you know, we're going to simplify leash reactivity in this episode. It's, uh, it's overwhelmingly overly complicated in the world of dogs. Um, and sometimes you can get granule and overthink things. And this is a very simple concept of if your dog is reactive, here's a simple solution and a simple roadmap for you guys to become successful. And at the end of the podcast, I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. So make sure you guys listen to the end and we will answer your questions. I appreciate you guys listening so much. If you want me to answer your specific questions, all you guys have to do is head over to the iTunes review chart, leave a review in the iTunes chart, and I'll answer your question next episode. If you're listening to this on Spotify, do me a solid favor and like this video or like this video. Jeez, I'm in YouTube mode. Uh, rate this podcast if it helps you guys out. I appreciate you a lot. Um, coming to Canada this month, I'm very excited. If you guys are in Canada, we're doing Calgary and Toronto. If you guys want to hang out with me, watch me train for the weekend or bring your dog. The link is in the description below for all the details. I'll talk to you at the end. He's an Australian Shepherd Pitbull mix. Um, I he he was uh, he had just turned one when I brought him home. Uh, he came from like a pretty severe case of abuse. Mm -hmm. um, he actually still has a bullet or two in him, mm. and he ended up. So I got him and. I didn't focus really on like obedience or anything like that for probably a few months. I mainly just kind of taught him how to like live with me in the house, which after that, like the obedience just kind of came naturally to him. Um, I did end up getting him temperament tested because I have various like chronic illnesses, disabilities, and he had gotten or he had passed his testing to, for me to train him to be my medical alert dog. So right before the pandemic hit, he was just about to finish like his in-training phase and he was doing really well. But all of a sudden, I mean, it really hit like basically overnight over a few days of he just started blowing up on the leash. And it would be with only certain dogs, specifically German Shepherds. And he would just go insane. Like he would be flopping around, screaming, growling. And we took him to a park. A few We used to take him to a dog park, which now looking back probably wasn't the best idea. Um, but he became, uh, he actually became aggressive towards a German Shepherd and tried to attack her. Now, I mean, I got him away, this and that, but his reactivity on the leash has just gotten worse. And because COVID happened, we couldn't even, like, really do any training with him with people. 
and I'm super high risk. So we had to be even really more diligent about who I came in contact with. I did take him to a trainer or a few and they made him worse. Uh, A lot of the people around here are just like those that purely positive, no punishment, no correction. And I was, I went along with it for a little while, but still kept like his rules and boundaries at home. Um, But all they did was treat and treat and more treats. Um, And when they, when we took him out with the one trainer, she called him back and he started jumping on her and then jumping on me to get the cookies away from the dog. And I had brought up the fact that I don't allow him to jump and I have a central line, so it makes it even more dangerous. Um, but he started then like st- trying to steal food, trying to steal my mom's dinner plate, which I knew. I nipped that right in the bud almost immediately and he hasn't done it since, but I can't get his like reactivity down and it's random. So it's not even something that it's like every dog you pass, he'll blow up. It's very certain ones and it's almost like he goes zero to 60, (laughs) which makes it even harder because at least I feel like if, he did it random. If he did it with every dog, I could be more prepared for it. But it's not. And I mean, we can pass certain, we can pass his biggest triggers of German Shepherds, like barking behind a fence, and he may kind of grumble under his breath, as we call it. But we'll get past their house. Then other times we'll pass the exact same place and he'll be flailing around like a fish out of water um and this all real I mean this was definitely a shock because for the longest time he was always the dog that we could trust with a four-year-old to walk and he would not have he doesn't pull on the leash he doesn't uh he doesn't chase prey I can I can take him off leash with I use a mini educator on him and I did train him to recall, to ignore prey. Um, we'll pass squirrels, bunnies, deer, geese, and cats, and he'll ignore them. But the sudden, and it's not so much like a fear thing, I don't think, of especially because he went after, he, when he tried to attack that one dog, it was straight, he went straight for the scruff. <laughs> And it was like the flip of a switch almost. So mm-hmm. like, I don't, I can't take him out in public because of that. Like, I mean, he's, that's just not the proper etiquette. Right. Um, the other issue is, so he has, we just found, we found out a few months ago that he has um, a slightly enlarged left ventricle. And his other problem is that he doesn't last long exercising anymore and he's getting bored. <laughs> so, which I mean, he's a working dog and he loves his job. Like he loves to work. He's, he's very much attached to me, but not 
he doesn't have like separation anxiety. We can leave him all day and he'll be fine. And he wants like, so he wants to do stuff, but his body just really can't keep up. Um, so I just wasn't really sure. Plus, I don't really know how to like go about starting to correct him with the e-collar or he does walk in a her. I mean, I've, I can walk him in a flat collar, a Herm Springer. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't pull very much and he knows heel, but I, so he knows the heel command is uh, with me and he'll stay right at my side. He won't, he won't sniff anything. He'll just be there. And then it's the, okay, or okay, good boy. And he's free. So he's got like all of his obedience and commands and stuff like that. Yep. And he will listen to it in any situation with or without treats. Um, I'm very much, I don't give treats a lot. <laughs> I give more praise or mm -hmm. it's the, you're expected to listen with, regardless of the situation, I want you to listen. Yeah. So um, right now, what you're struggling with the most is just that reactivity that explosion yeah okay and what is your overall goal with the with the reactivity like what is your overall realistic goal what do, what do you want to accomplish the most i want to i want to get to the point where we can at least walk past walk past dogs that he will like lose his mind over and even if he acknowledges them, but just doesn't explode. Yeah. The only the hard thing with that is it's not consistent with which dog it is. So you never know. Right. You can't, it's hard to have that successful variable. Like you said, if it was every dog, it would be a lot easier to say, okay, my job, my goal, my, right. You know, my objective is to go out and not have him react because we know he's going to consistently react and so that's easy for us to work with but when you have unpredictable un reactivity and when you have a dog that will just react at random dogs inconsistently it's very difficult to um be so so my, i guess my point is is in situations like this the best thing to do is to be proactive and work on your handling skill sets before obviously the dog reacts so that's, that's the suggestion I would do if I were you. That's what we do with dogs in my facility is when you're out for a walk, you would not, you would almost wait to see if there is a reaction. And if there is, you have two options, really, you wait to see if there is a reaction. If the reaction happens, then you would go through exercises to reduce the reactivity or stop the reactivity. And then alternatively to that, so that's one road you go, if he reacts, this is what you do. If the other option is to go and then do some sort of dismantlement exercise with every dog that you see, which may not be realistic depending on, you know, where you live and what your daily is. That yeah. would, that would be the, the two biggest options only because it, it's inconsistent to why he's reactive. Right. And that's the weird thing is that like originally it started with just one, one specific house and he would start amping up like six houses away. And then it became like an every single time type thing with that 
breed. I mean, it happens with other dogs too. It's just we can we can guarantee every single time he sees one of that specific, then he will lose his mind. Yeah, like a shepherd, you mean, or just that dog in that yeah. house? Yeah. Uh, German. At this point, it's all German shepherds. Um, he, I don't know what it is about that specific dog, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if it's like color doesn't matter that it's if it's that breed you can guarantee he's going to go batshit crazy basically yeah so then if you have that consistency then it comes to another like granule split what you could do is you could work on two things you can work on helping him become more confident around german shepherds the only problem with that or the caveat to that is is you have to have other german shepherds that are willing to work with you on that Um, Mm -hmm. And then the other option is to, again, do your dismantlement whenever the dog is reactive, regardless of the breed. Um, So I think I think you should have both scenarios in your head. Both scenarios should be something that you're comfortable with, where you could go out and you say, "Okay, this is a German Shepherd. He's probably going to bark or he's probably going to react. Here's how I'm going to handle this. Or if you're walking with him, you say, "Hey, there's a dog. We're just going to do our thing. And then if he does react, here's what you're going to do. Cause it's going to be the same thing as pretty much the same thing as if he does react. So that's how I would handle that situation is do a lot of dismantlement. But before we get into that, what are your, like, how are you right now? I know you said you had the mini educator for off leash work, which is nice. Um, what is your, like, say you're walking, you see a German shepherd, like, how do you handle it now? Like, what are you, cause whatever you're doing right now isn't working. So I'm trying to, right. I'm trying to figure out like what you're doing wrong so we can help you get better. So walk me through so that. So right now, right now, um, typically once he's like, once he notices them or really any dog that anytime that I kind of see him getting a little bit like amped up, usually his head is held higher, his ears go really forward, or he just gets into a different like body stance. I'll usually say his name, I'll have him come to me, or I'll have him look at me. And I'll try to keep his focus. And then when I see him like relax a little bit, I'll say, okay, let's keep going. Or I'll do a with me. Um, But it's definitely almost like, uh, it reminds me of almost like an ADHD type thing where he just is constantly looking. Um, and I know for a fact that I get, it's almost like I try to like rush and get his attention. So I know he's probably feeding off of that too. Um, and I mean, I've, I've tried to like even just get video clips of it to send to you. And it's one of those things that I'm not on my phone a whole lot, especially when I'm out with him. Um, but I try to get to his tension. I've tried, uh, a correction. I've tried to pop with the Herm Springer. I've tried kind of walking him around back and forth of just keeping him engaged, keeping him like thinking. Yeah. Is he, when you, so when he starts to build and you can see his physical demeanor change, so he starts to posture, things like that, you can clearly see he starts to build. Uh, um, what are you, what, uh, what are you doing? Like, I know you said you have the Herm Springer and stuff like that, but like, can you get a little bit more granule on exactly, like try to walk it through in your head? So usually at that point, when I see him doing the 
once I see the change in him, I'll give him a pretty, I'll give him a firm no with, and I'll pop my wrist Mm -hmm. with, so that the call, so that his collar will pop. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell him a fur, I'll tell him no or leave it. Usually with a lot of dogs, he will. And that's what then, I mean, there's sometimes that he, there's sometimes that he'll listen to that, but other times it's kind of the focus on me. And I mean, I'll admit that there's been a few times that I've taken like a cookie crumb or something out of my pocket and just kind of try to keep his attention. Yeah, sure. But I just don't like the idea of having to do that all the time. And that's always been my problem is that I've never been a huge trader. I've never been one like really big on only using food because then I feel like that's just like a Band-Aid. Yeah, it can be for sure. You have to, there is a really gray area in a, in a definition of, of that. And you have to be really careful how you're rewarding because I've seen, you can ruin a dog with anything. You can ruin a dog with treats. You can ruin a dog with a harness. You can ruin a dog with an e-collar. Just, it all depends on right. how good you are. You know what I mean? That's why, um, it's tough to see places ban certain things. Cause it's just a definitive, like nobody in this area knows what they're doing, yeah. which is very sad. I mean, I've gotten, I took him to a trainer right when things started opening back up mm-hmm. and probably like 30 minutes away from me. They, she claimed on her website that it was, she had ter- working dog experience, balance trainer, this and that. Mm-hmm. And I walk in there and he had his, he had his Herm Springer on. And he walks in a harness at times more for me of it has a handle on it. So sure. exactly. if I need to grab on for my own health, then I can. Yeah. And she had, she based, she had just straight up said that it's blatant abuse to use a prong collar and he's only listening because he's afraid of pain. It's very, it's a very, very, people make it like, so this, this, this crazy thing. Right. And it's really simple. It's either. You're you're the type of dog owner who believes in telling your dog no if they do something that could ultimately end up killing themselves, right? Getting hit by a car, getting, you know, whatever the case may be, or you don't. And that's it. It, I mean, everything else is just vehicles in between. Like we're going to use the prong collar vehicle to to tell people they can't say no to their dog. We're going to use the e-collar vehicle to tell people they can't have their dogs off leash. It's it's really comes down to two things is either you believe in punishing your dog or you don't. And then people who don't believe in punishing the dog just use the equipment as a vehicle. Because as soon as the so if if we banned all equipment, then they would just try to ban saying no to your dog. It's just going to keep. It yeah. just never ends. It really has nothing to do with the equipment. That's just what they're. That's but but it's the same thing on the other end of the spectrum too. Is so it's it's that's really that simple. It's either do you believe in punishment or not? No. Okay. Do you believe in punishment? Yes. Okay. Cool. That those are the two camps. So anyway, um, I wouldn't. Yeah. So I would just say, um, yeah. So getting, getting into the reward, you just have to be careful when you're rewarding the dog because you can, you can really confuse a dog. And, and, and you also have to be careful when a dog is super motivated because you got a, you got a dangerous tool in your hand. You have this piece of food mm-hmm. and that can work with you. 
or it can work against you. And in the beginning, it's this, you know, it's the same thing, right? It's the same exact thing as both camps are on the same foundation. Well, if you're using the prong call, your dog's only listening because of X, Y, and blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing with food. It's like, well, if you're using food, your dog's only listening for food. It's like, there's a middleman there. There's a mid, there's a, there's a middle line there of, of having both like that I'm training and teaching and developing and sculpting and shaping all the capturing all these things. But if you have that food, it's like, Oh, look what my dog is doing. And it's like, well, your dog's not really doing that at all. Take that food away and see what your dog does. And it's the same thing with equipment. If you do it wrong, put the equipment on the dog doesn't know the behavior. People correct the dog too quickly. And the, the same thing, the dog's only listening because the equipment's on, they don't know the behavior outside of it. And there's a middle line right in between where you can use both of those things to sustainably train your dog. And that's been, my job is to help people. Like I'm a professional that tries to help people as much as I possibly can all over the world. I'm going to go with the most effective, sustainably realistic training possible because that makes my job easier. If there was anything else out there that was easier and better for the dog, I would do it. But having that balance has been proven thousands and thousands and thousands of times all over the world to be the best, most effective thing. So when you're out with him and you have food, there's a way to do this. And there's a, like I said, there's that fine line and you have to be really careful about that fine line. I was just working with a Kane Corso um, that was really food motivated. And I was explaining about constructive, I call, I just made this up because it made sense, constructive payment and not constructive payment. So what you want to do is there's a very hint of avoidance training when you're using food with a motivated dog, but you have to be careful of your timing. So if you go out, your objective isn't to wave the food in front of the dog's face and say, come over here instead, because that doesn't, like you said, it's a bandaid. It doesn't fix anything. Right. It doesn't help anything. But what you can do is you can let the dog know that you have motivation on you and you can help the dog make better decisions. And then at some point the dog will get paid from that food. He just doesn't know when. He just doesn't know when. And he's also got to be patient and he's got to make the right decision. But if you flash the food in front of the dog before they can think, that, that this is where the dog's sustainability and what they're learning will be beneficial or not. Is if you're flashing that food and say, come over here, the dog passes, That's the dog isn't going to learn. It's it, I'm not saying that that's a bad way to train. But for most people, including yourself, it's not a long term. Exactly. The dog isn't getting what's going on at the time. At the time it's working, right? It's just like correcting a dog is if you correct a dog for doing something and they're unsure of the context of why they were corrected, then it may not be sustainable to other parts of the dog's life. And that's where you have to be very conscious and mindful of your timing and all that stuff. So so my point is, is if you do have a food motivated dog and he's inconsistent on when or who he's going to react to as far as dogs go, um, outside of like German shepherds for sure, mm-hmm. then you could have this blend of, so what I would do is I would be doing basic obedience around these other dogs. So let's say you're out walking, you see a dog. You don't know what it is. You don't care what it is. You say the dog's name and you do some dismantlement just to get what you're trying to do is take the dog's attention and then focus it on you. And you're going to have this really nice blend of obedience throughout the process to make sure that the dog is successful. So what you'll do is you'll go out and as the dog starts to build, you'll say, Hey dog, do that. Come over here. 
the dog does it, you pay him. So if, for an example, if you did like a recall, so if you said dog come and you just drew back really quick and the dog didn't come to you, you would correct the dog because he knows better, right? So you've worked on all the, the, right. fo- the foundation. So that's a fair thing to say because your obedience shouldn't be, if you're obedient as a dog owner, your obedience should be building. Like you should be getting, like you said, he can, he'll listen to anything under any circumstances or whatever. So yeah. that's, my point is, is it's fair for him to understand when you say, Hey dog, come. He's like, yeah, I know what to do. He, we, he know he knows the expectation and yes. knows that he's expected to listen regardless. Yes. So you draw back the dog's attentions on you. You'll verbally pay the dog. Good. Come good. You'll hold that for a duration. So one, two, three, right. Seconds, four seconds. And then maybe what you'll do is you'll take one or two pieces of food really quick and you'll just scatter feet on the ground, break, and you just throw it on the ground or in the grass and the dog sniffs it up and okay. gets, you know, gets excited and eats all that food up. Um, and then after that, what you can do is you can then move forward. So, so that's, that's, that's avoidance for sure, because you're like, Hey, I don't want to expose my dog to this, but it's, it's like I said, constructive avoidance it's not just like oh look over here look look over here look what i got look what i got come over here like that's bullshit that's gonna you're gonna look like that's and that's i was saying that's what everyone had tried to tell me at first of you're just gonna have to walk him at this time you're gonna have to reroute you're gonna have to carry food with you everywhere i'm like i don't that's not realistic for me and that just doesn't seem that doesn't seem like it's gonna do anything besides make it worse yeah it was definitely just gonna compound stuff again just like if you never had an opportunity, there's, yeah, it's, it's, it's yes. So I would agree that doesn't, I mean, if, if I had somebody that lived in downtown Manhattan, had a super reactive dog and they said, that's the only way I can walk my dog. I'd be like, do it. I don't care. But like for somebody mm-hmm. like you that wants to get really granular on fixing and modifying the perception of the way, the way the dog handles these things, this is where you can get really like kind of nerdy on it where you can say, okay, let's blend these things together. And so if at any point, right. So you get this like recall and then your dog turns and looks at the other dog that's where your fair correction could come in you're like hey i told you to recall so like if so for an example if you were to just do food lure avoidance where again you just can say hey look over here and you come over uh, the dog turns and looks at the dog you have no choice you're rewarding the dog at the same time so you don't really have that distinguished no yes no yes no good bad so once the dog starts to come to you and then maybe looks at the other dog in a, an intense, potentially aggressive, reactive way, you can use your leash pop. Nope, that's wrong. Boom, don't do that. But then come back towards me. It's like a split second, like a really – and this is where like good handling and good training comes into play <clears throat> is the timing of how you're doing this is all have to kind of accumulate into one thing. Like it's- a sec – like it's really – I mean like I was all, I always learned that it was basically like the split second before, during, and after of like their yeah. mind of like it's like that snap, like that mm-hmm. basically just like screenshot in their head of right now and only right now. Yeah, exactly. So the moment they do that, you're like, nope, that's wrong. And then they turn back to you, you go, yes, good. And so you're teaching them, you could call it operant conditioning, um, you can call it rewards or corrections, you can call it whatever you want, but you're just a dog owner that's trying to teach your dog to be more confident and try to handle other situations around other dogs so they're not stressful you're not stressful and you can enjoy your dog more and so that's where that timing kind of comes in that's really hard for people to be honest like you've watched my videos you'll see dog owners come in struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and it's because it becomes a very natural thing to be honest it's it's one of those things that not a lot of people 
it's like learning how to play a guitar or a violin mm-hmm. or learning how to dance. It's something that is very rhythmic and almost art formish. Your timing has to be right. You have to say the right thing. And this is where some people get a very challenging dog and it is hard for them because they have to be almost a professional handler to, to, to accomplish these goals. So anyway, um, so that's what I would be doing is using your dismantling, dismantlement exercises and your timing to make sure that the dog is, you know, really on point with you. And that's where you're going to have to just trial and error the things that work. And then I would just say, like, if you do go out, I, I usually use like big pieces of dry, um, freeze dried beef liver. Um, and what I typically do is if I'm going out with a dog like this, that is food motivated, but I also want to make sure the dog is learning and ex- making the right decisions and, and growing emotionally. What I'll do is I'll just bring three or four pieces of those out and I'll just hold the treat like in my hand like this. And I'll just mm-hmm. pay, pay, I don't know if you've ever seen me do this on a video. I'll just pay the dog a little bit and I'll just remove it and put it back in my pocket, my hoodie pocket or something. Yeah. It's almost like he takes like a nibble out yeah. of it or, yeah, and, and then you just put it away. Yep. And it actually will drive more frustration and more, more attention towards you. Cause they're like, Hey, where, where'd that go? Give that back. I didn't finish it. And so you can actually, it's nice. Cause you can push it towards Use you. Use that to your advantage. Yep. I have to interrupt this podcast really quick to just say thank you to our sponsors of We Feed Raw. You guys know I've been feeding raw now for a long time and it's changed the life with my dogs forever and my clients. Helps my dog live helps my dogs live longer and We Feed Raw makes it really easy for you to go online, pick your dog's breed, exercise level, age, size, all that stuff and it gives you a customized meal plan delivered straight to your door if you guys want to try it. You can cancel at any time, so really it's you know, what's, what's, what, what are you waiting for? Right. That's just my opinion. I just want to help you guys out with your dogs as always. That's why I'm proud to team up with We Feed Raw. You can click the link below to get 25% off your first order and back to the podcast. So the overall goal is simply for you, for your dog to go, Oh, it's not so bad. Cause it could be, it's weird that it's random, but it also is common. Um, so it could be an insecurity thing. Uh, he's kn- a very shy, he's a very shy dog. Um, and I mean, just to kind of give like, I don't know, a little bit of background or an idea is he had, when he first came, he came from South Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, he had, I was his sixth home visit of a meet and greet. He wanted nothing to do with anybody else, no other home visit. And he, I sat on the floor and he came right into my lap and was very content. Um, He wanted nothing to do with my mom. He's very, he's kind of a very much one person, one human type dog. And he'll, I mean, he tolerates everyone. He, you can pet him, you can engage him. He's not aggressive. He has no like resource guarding. He has nothing. I'll give him a bone and I'll take it away from his mouth and he's fine. Um, But he's very, for the longest time, he was basically afraid of his own shadow. Mm. So I really had to take like a lot of building him up. He, for a while, he was crazy on the leash, not necessarily pulling, just like he would like zigzag all over the place of, he really had never been on a leash before he never knew what like a bed was right um i mean i did have to hand feed him for probably a solid week 
because yeah. he wasn't he was just terrified um and that's why it's like i don't know if it's just that he got finally got at least some of his confidence and now was okay um at that point it was i think he started exp- my mom will take him out for me sometimes if i'm just like not able to sure um but i know that she doesn't feel co- she's even said before that she's not comfortable using like the Herm Springer. She's it's kind of the walk him in a harness or a flat collar. Sure. And he's fine in the collars. He just can slip out of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's like the hardest thing too, is I don't also don't know if it's just because he's a bit more bored and everything is just kind of amped up. And everything is just kind of like bubbling over it, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, could be. Um, because I know for a fact that he's very much. I never had any intentions to make him my working dog. Uh, he basically he basically chose that. Of mm-hmm. uh, he would, he knows when like my heart rate increases and he will alert me to it. He will do deep pressure therapy. And that definitely gave a lot more independence and freedom of, I know, like, we're confident that you will let me know if I'm at risk of fainting. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're on a walk and it's no longer safe, like, he will not go further and he will take me right home. So that's why this also is definitely very much it really kind of just hinders things. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, like, I don't take him any, I don't take him in public. I don't do this. We will take him like here and there into a store and just kind of keep his, keep like his working behavior up to par. Mm -hmm. But we're very careful about where, who, like all that kind of stuff, just so he doesn't get bad habits when he's in that mode um so that's so originally i mean i was even thinking of trying to schedule a time and just take the drive up to your facility because i mean i'm in buffalo Mm -hmm. so i'm not very far um but because things are just so uncertain with me it's very difficult to kind of like put something in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of want to just like get an idea as to even how to like keep his brain more active too. Um, I have to get surgery in a few weeks and he's, I have like puzzle toys for him. I have interactive toys. I have all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. He figures them out in seconds he learned how to unscrew the top of his one wobbler toy. Yeah, and I would yeah. I would just say there's like a lot of mental simulation uh, that you can do. So some dogs just aren't going to do well with like puzzles and stuff like that. Like you have to get them out and you have to work them mentally. So you have to test them. So that's the best thing to do. There is no like way around it. There is no secrets. There's right. no like just having a dog work and and think. That's that's what it comes down to. Like and a, that's that's definitely the like he's a working dog and he does best when he's given a job. Yep. There you go. You got it. 
Yep. So there is no, there's nothing. There's nothing else that can, it's just like. So if like. Yeah. Yeah. So like if he figures things out that quickly, then obviously he just like, he needs something else to keep his brain busy. Yeah. Just do different things like and, and advance your, advance your obedience and have fun. Um, have fun while you do it. I think that that's the most important thing is figure out what you can challenge your dog with. I think that that's like the definition of working your dog. I think people get overwhelmed with working their dog and it's as simple as putting your dog in a sit stay and adding distractions to it to figure out how you can test them. So, so basically it's just going to be the treat every dog like he would react and just kind of like, de- not necessarily even, de- I mean, desensitize, obviously, but like, just try to keep him thinking more. Yeah, just test him uh, mentally. That's like the best thing to do is is test him mentally, but also you have to have, I call them dismantling exercises. So as your dog builds and gets excited um, towards other things, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. You just have to make sure that you're able to, give your dog something constructive to do. I mean, it's just a blend. Like I said before, the exercise is simple is you're going to give something constructive for your dog to do that they know well. Um, and then you're going to copy and paste that in an environment where your dog may be distracted or stimulated or reactive towards something else. Um, and you're just going to use your gas and brake pedal there and just like, Hey, if, if he if he makes a bad decision or he uh, messes up or he does anything that you feel like is inappropriate for him and he knows that he shouldn't be doing that, then that's where you would correct him and just kind of keep him in line. It, it's just like when you go out with a kid and you're like, Hey, we know, mm-hmm. our, we know our manners. We're going to ask, please. We're going to not scream. We're not going to do this. And then the and moment, if you don't, then yeah, there's just a moment where they're like, you know, they take their fork and they huck it across the room. And then you like with dogs, they don't understand English with kids. You can say, see what you just did. No more whatever, no more this for a month or no more that, or you can't go to Timmy's house or whatever. We're punishing them and correcting them. The only way that that kid is going to learn that they took that fork and hucked it across the dining room at a restaurant is you're going to say, we don't do that because of these reasons. It's dangerous. It's disruptive. It's rude. But also because you did it and you know better, we've gone over how to behave in public. You are, so the correction for, for the kid would be, you can't Go do this now. We're taking that away. We're using uh, some sort of negative punishment maybe. But with dogs, they do not understand English. They're animals. They will kill little cute things. They will eat their own poop. They will sleep outside for the rest of their lives and not care. It's a different beast. But I will say that the foundation of how they learn and how we should be working with them is pretty similar. So if Mm -hmm. they again, do something that they shouldn't be doing, they don't understand that English language. You can't communicate that way. How do dogs communicate? With body language and physicality, right? That's how they communicate. You're not going to sit there and go, Fido, did you have a good day at daycare today? Yeah, mom, it was great. I sniffed so many butts. Like, no, they're very physical. You're going to say, oh, you're happy. Oh, you're sad. Oh, this is okay. This isn't okay. So the leash is loose. You're saying good job. The moment they're like, I'm going to try to bite this dog. You're correcting the dog and making that unpleasant for them to discourage it to happen again in the future. That's how you communicate. It's very, very simple. And again, like we talked about before, um, people make things so overwhelmingly, ridiculously overcomplicated. It's either you believe in punishment or you don't. There's a correct, ethical, fantastic, sustainably way to punish a dog, which there's many great people out there teaching and knowing how to do it. And there's a bunch of people who don't, that's just the ecosystem we live in. 
And then the other side is we don't believe in punishment. We believe our dogs should just have the decisions to make on their own. And if they don't, then sometimes that is basically every dog around where I live is the nobody tells them no, nobody does anything. It's the they do what they want when yeah, they want. That's and common. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's I'm I've all I've always been from day one of I'm I'm known as the I'm known as the strict and the mean one in the family. Sure. Of I have very I have very specific things that I just do not tolerate at all whatsoever. Um, but those were always very clear yeah. and very consistent things of you don't put your paw, you keep your paws on the ground at all times. You do not jump, you do not steal, beg, anything like that. Of yeah. Yep. So when you're out, um, as far as the dismantlement and stuff, like there's that recall, like I said, there's the inside turn, which is your dog is on your left. You turn inside to your dog, you peel away. There's the outside turn, okay. which is the exact opposite. You turn, you take your right shoulder and go the other way. But your objective again is to just give the dog a really clear opportunity to make a good decision in an environment that they may be over threshold. They may be overstimulated and you're going to balance that out with your communication skills. So the way that you communicate with your dog, again, not like humans, but you'll say, hey, dog, come, hey, dog, heal, hey, dog, with me, whatever your commands are to say, this is what we're going to do. If they know it well, especially in that context, then they're going to follow and you're going to verbally pay them. Good job. Uh, and then if they don't, you just give a little leash pop, say, hey, stay in line, right? You're driving down the road. You go off a little bit into the to the left lane or whatever, right? There's a correction there. So that's, like, that's all you're doing. You're just going to pop that collar and say, hey, snap out of it. Pay attention, man. We got stuff to do. Oh, sorry. They come to you. It dis it disengages them from that dog to have them boil over. You pay them verbally again. If they do really well, you can pay them externally with some food uh, randomly, and that will help build that motivation and confidence. But the problem that a lot of people have with leash reactivity is they don't have the base layer obedience yet to copy and paste that in reality, and that's where they end up. They just want to fix the problem, but they don't have the work uh, in place. It sounds like you've done the work. So those are the things that I would be doing is when you're out because it's an inconsistent behavior and you can't figure out the variable, there's no way that you're going to be able to go out and say, this is what's going to happen every time. So right. that's how you would handle that situation. You either walk through it and see what happens. And if he does good, you'll pay him. If it's a German shepherd or a dog that you feel like he's going to react to, you do your dismantlement exercises. Um, now with, I just, I have two other main questions just about like mm -hmm. the training tools that I use, um, with the mini educator, is there like a, or how do you usually go about using it to correct a dog, like for something they, for like a behavior that you don't want and you, and they know mm -hmm. when you tell them no of, yeah. So there's different levels of the remote collar. So there's conditioning levels and there's corrective levels. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing proper e-collar training, uh, the, the basically it's the difference between asking and then telling really quickly. Right. Okay. Like, hey, hey, buddy, I need you to pick this up. And then really quickly going from that to pick it up because yeah. you know, for whatever reason, right? It's just a very like, hey, you're flipping me off. This is dangerous. This is whatever. So the e-collar, you're going to learn like, hey, this is what how to, this is the, in the beginning is this is how to pick something up. This is why we pick something up. When I say pick it up, this is what that means, buddy. This is, or this is how you hold your hand. This is how you walk across the street. You got to teach the dog 
how to do these things first. And you're going to communicate with the remote caller. So it's just background noise. And then the next, the next step after the dog knows the e-collar really well, and the dog knows the behavior really well, <clears throat> but one comes before the other. So the dog knows the behavior, then we layer over the e-collar, and then mm -hmm. you're going to have your corrective levels, which typically is usually over a 10 in, in most. So there's shit e-collars. Hey, that yeah. was what I, yeah, that's where I'm at of. I, I mean, I probably spent a solid year just like partially just because of the weather where as I'm sure you know of where we live, it's so insane. Yeah. Um, I spent a really long time just keeping him on a really long, uh, like basically like a horse uh, lunge line. Yeah. And I just used that. Um, so I made sure that he knows like his working levels, conditioning level. And now with the corrective yep. spot like part, I didn't want to do anything that I guess like would ruin him. Um. But I also don't want it just to get to the where he's where he would get used to the higher level of more annoyance and this and that. So it was kind of that trying to find that medium ground of this is where it's the oh crap, okay, I can't do that. Yeah. And yeah, I don't I don't think there's a medium ground. I think it's just I think it's just corrective or communicative. There there is no like okay. medium ground. Like you're not kinda you're not kinda punishing him. Right. It's either you are or you are. Correct. That's it. It's very okay. binary. There is no, that's it. There is no like okay. kind of, it's just he either, and the way that you see it in a dog, and this is what, this is what is crazy. I've done a lot of videos on what a correction looks like with an e-collar, which is literally you have the dog out, you say dog come, they're stimulated. Uh, their adrenaline may be going, they may be further away from you. They're off leash. All these context things make an animal act a certain way, feel certain things. So we say, come, they don't, you go up, you say, come, they feel it and they go, whoop, and they turn right around and they come back. That's what an e-collar correction looks like. Exactly. They just listen. That's it. And they come back. So you just have to find those levels yourself and what your dog responds to because every dog is different. But typically conditioning levels are below a 10. Corrective levels yeah. tend to be over he, 10. He works it like between a five and a six. There so you go. that's where it was the... That's where he normally is. I mean, if we're in a super high distraction, he might move up a bit. But yeah. other than that, like, yeah, exactly. And that's where the, I think, I mean, even earlier today, he decided not to listen. And it was kind of the, I moved it up and he, he gave like, he turned right around, came right back and he gave like a slight head twitch of, yep. oh, I felt that. Um, and I mean, that's like something that as long as he doesn't, like scream at the top of his lungs, then that's kind of expected, right? Every dog is different. Every situation is different. Um, so yeah, we, yeah, we never want our dogs to scream at their top of their lungs for yeah. anything. It doesn't matter if they're excited or they're not. Right. So, but it really just depends on you. Like I've, yeah, so I've had, I've had training clients that their dog is four seconds away from getting absolutely demolished and murdered by a vehicle. And I don't, in my opinion, I don't care what noises my dog makes. I I do not want my dog. Back. Yeah, I do not want to pick my dog up off the side of the road. Okay, so no, so never. But those are discretionary things on what you want and with your dog and your situation. So you can't you can't look at it in a very granular way at scale. It's either it's right. very it's very 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 black in, and white. 
it's in context of everything that you're doing. So again, like if you were to say, Hey, my dog yelped when I corrected it, is that okay? I'm like, was your dog about to die? Was your dog not sitting? Was your dog begging? Was your dog jumping? I mean, it's up to you. Like basically just like at our discretion of whatever the, whatever it is, is it also depends on the dog too. Like I've literally put, I've literally taken a flat collar off a dog and they go, And the owners mm-hmm. are hysterically laughing, like, oh, my dog is so dramatic, right? But but then you'll get the dog owner that's like, oh, my God, what happened? I'm like, nothing. So, so again, it really depends on the dog as well because there's certain dogs that are like Shiba Inus, like scream for bloody murder. Siberian Huskies scream. Terriers are typical screamers. So, like, yeah. um, I'm not making up excuses for dogs vocalizing when they're uncomfortable because you never want to see that and there's something going on. But I'm just saying, like, every single Some dog more- is different. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so my other question is, I so he, when he's in his when he's in his term Springer, he it's the it's the usual two point two five. Yep. The pro. I know. I mean, I've heard that there's a smaller size than that. And there, that's for like Chihuahuas. That's not because. So my problem is that the one link is makes it too big, and the other one is like just a bit like not not snug to where it should be but where it's like it really takes effort to get it clasped mm-hmm. so the but like the micro one is usually only for really small yeah tiny dogs yeah your dog would break that apart in one correction okay yeah you could you could try a, a star mark plastic pinch collar it's like a plastic uh prong collar that's what we that's what we started with. Yeah, sometimes that that'll fit better, but yeah, there is no in between that. Um, you just have to because because again, same thing. Like every dog is different. Like you get a Doberman or a Greyhound, that collar is going to slide mm-hmm. down every time. You get like a big Rottweiler, it's probably not going to move. You know, so it just right. depends. Again, like it just depends. Like you, that's like the thing about dog training is is there is no one way to do anything. There is no one yeah. person that teaches the best and how it, it's it's all. It's like you go on YouTube or you go online or you work with somebody, every single business and every single instructor and every single teacher is going to train a little bit differently. And you just want somebody that can help you and your dog that you can understand. Because I've worked with trainers and I've been in seminars where I can't understand one word they just said. I don't understand anything. There's other people that are nodding their head and taking notes. And I'm like, okay, this isn't for me. This is not how I learn. This is not making sense to me, right? It's the same thing with like taking a cooking class or learning how to drive. It's like every single thing is different. So again, like when you see somebody, including myself, that I'm like, hey, your collar should be here. This is how it's going to work the best. But then you're trying to put on your collar and you're like, I can't get that. That's physically impossible for me to do. Well, then you just have to make it work for your dog. You just have to, you have to pull it up more often. That's all. Should I, now, I, should the, so if, so usually because if he's off leash, he had, I'll only have him off leash with his e-collar on. Mm -hmm. Um, should the e-collar be higher than the prong no. or should the prong go first? Prong's always first. Whatever whatever okay. whatever physical collar you're using on your dog should always go behind the ears. That's where the safest control is. Okay. That that actually might be my problem then is because I've been using the usually I'll put the e-collar on first. Yeah. You can put the e-collar and, on first, just don't put it higher than the prong. Okay, that that's probably what 
Yeah, the my yeah, mistake the, is doing none. Yeah, the prong collar always goes the highest. It doesn't matter, like slip collar, uh, martingale collar, whatever you're using to communicate with the dog, you're putting it up the highest. Just like with um, okay. like a horse, like your equipment positioning matters. Right. You have to put yeah. it in the right spot. But like the e-collar, I mean, I've seen people train a dog on an e-collar on their leg. Like it doesn't, yeah. you know, the e-collar, you know, we, we tell pet owners to put it on their neck for sure. That's where it's supposed to go. But it's just really um, a communication tool. And it's always wherever just, the best yeah. contact is. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. All right, you guys, the end of the podcast. The first question comes from R-H-R-I-V-E-R-5-5-5-5-5-5-5. Hey, Tom, I don't know if I'm doing this whole thing right, but you always say to go to iTunes or Spotify. I've tried both, but I can't figure out how to write a review. Well, you're doing it, my friend. It keeps taking me back to Apple Podcasts, so I hope you get this message, but I'm getting a blue healer. I have two German Shepherds, one of them and nine. One of them is nine. The other one is two. How should I introduce them? Um, well, congratulations on the new puppy coming along. That's going to be fun. We have some puppy content we're working on, so that'll be fun. Um, but my suggestion is very simply to have them meet outside uh, with with don't so puppy proof your house. So take up all food, all bowls, um, anything that your other dog can get possessive over, um, all bones, toys, all that stuff. Have them meet outside on neutral grounds. Best way to have dogs meet if you're unsure, which it sounds like you are. Um, is through a, a chain link fence. I think that's the best way to do it. Um, some people are like, my dog is the nicest dog in the whole world and I'm excited and there's not going to be any problems. We have a puppy coming in. It's going to be easy. But uh, my suggestion, if you're unsure, is to have them meet safely on neutral grounds with a chain link fence. All right. Next question comes from Swissy and Golden, large dog and small pup. Hey, Tom, new here. Thanks for the inspiration to resume working with my older dog. I've gotten lazy because he's generally so easy. I have a six-year-old, 100-pound, great Swiss mountain dog and a new 15-pound, nine-week-old golden retriever. They're, we've introduced them well and can play no problem with my older dog laying down. But when the puppy gets rambunctious, my older guy rushes towards him and essentially tries to pin him to the ground. He's not latching on, but the amount of pressure that I'm not risking seeing what happens. I've resumed working the off command, which makes it better. But my older dog doesn't want the puppy to have too much fun. Um, so I know the golden will be bigger, but what the heck is this about? This is just uh, policing. So it's just correcting the, the smaller dog, which is, which is very common. And personally, if I know a dog is going to police and correct um, properly and safely, um, I typically just let that go. I just let like my older dog, Lola, she would always correct and, um, kind of teach little puppies that moved in with me, <laughs> my new dogs, uh, how to act and what's appropriate and what's not. So I, uh, if you're, if you feel safe, like having these things happen, um, then that's what I would just say to happen. And, you know, I, again, I don't know your dog. I don't really know the intentions, but it sounds very clearly to me that your dog is just correcting the puppy and just saying like, Hey, knock it off. You're being too rambunctious. Um, just like a parent would when your kid comes running to the house, screaming and yelling. Uh, and then you say, Hey, 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 calm down, calm down, go sit down. You know, just kind of like ruining that fun for a minute because it's just, uh, outrageous. So that's my suggestion. Um, but again, I don't, you know, that's just, that's just what I'm seeing and hearing. So I would just not necessarily, I, I used to encourage that when Lola was alive, but, um, I don't know your dog. So, um, but that's just my take on what's happening. Policing, um, it's appropriate, but you just got to make sure it doesn't get out of hand and it's on, and it's not fair. Um, so that's my take. Thank you for listening. Next one comes from Tant 
Tatum Grimes. Five-star review. Love everything you do. Hey, Tom, I've been following you for about a year now, and you have inspired me to start training my dog, Aspen. You actually handled her a little bit when you came to Arizona, which is awesome. She has come a long way, and she's completely e-collar, off-leash trained. She does have an issue when we are in the house and people come into our house, but no matter who it is, she can't seem to stop alert barking. How can I help her with this? She doesn't do it at any stores or in the car, just strictly at home. She has to leave it command. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for all you do. And my suggestion is to desensitize it. So I would literally do the absolute best you can um, to desensitize the reactivity and the trigger. So if it's the doorbell, if it's the knock, if it's the people at the front. So you have to just like right now, if it's happening once a day or twice a day, it's not really a good opportunity for you to work on it because it's happening very minimal amount of times, right? So I would just do the best you can to um, desensitize the react the reactivity triggers. So again, ringing that doorbell, you having on the leash, and then somebody else ringing that doorbell, working through that, correcting the behavior, giving your dog a different job, calming your dog down with obedience. So place, down, stay, leave it, all that stuff. But I think a lot of people struggle with the reactivity at the door, mainly because it's a natural thing. Like my dog, you guys probably heard in this podcast, my assistant's bringing in new merch. Uh, new merch, by the way, if you guys are interested, link below. Uh, you know, she's like, hey, somebody's here. Oh, it's just you. Hey, somebody's here. Oh, it's just you. You're never going to take that away from a dog. That's always going to happen. And it's not realistic too. But um, having the obedience to say, hey, go lay down and stay and kind of like knock it off and disengaging is the best thing to do. But if you're not practicing it as often as you can, then it's going to be tough. Again, if you're only if you're practicing anything in the world, doesn't matter if you're baseball, softball or dog training, if you're doing it twice a day, once a day versus 50 times a day, um, obviously the more reps you do it, the better you're going to get. So my recommendation is rep those triggers out and work on uh, deactivating all those stuff. So anyway, I hope you're well. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll talk to you Wednesday. Have a good day. Bye.